0: There are a few things in life that once you see them, you'll never be able to unsee it. Once you put your eyes on it, you're forever changed. Uh, There's been a few examples I know you'll think about later in your life that once you saw it, you'll never forget what it looks like. You know, there's a few brands out there, there are a few logos out there that try to, try to do this. They try to hide a message within their logo, try to give different ideas, and I'm going to show a few of them to you today, and I promise you, once you see it, you won't be able to unsee them. Okay? So, if you don't want to see them, now's the time to look away, all right? <laughs> all right. Here's the first one. You've probably seen it before, but here's the Tostitos logo. So, you've seen it when you walk up and down the grocery aisle, but you see the friends in the middle, that are sharing the salsa. If you've never seen that before, right there above the eye is a salsa bowl. Tostitos, of course, makes chips. And so if you've never seen that before, now you see it, right? Remember that next time you go to Kroger or Walmart uh, when you see Tostitos. The second is a little different and, and it's been changed over the years, but this is the Tour de France logo. There are actually three messages, three different images, if you will, in this logo. The first, of course, is the name the Tour de France. You see it right there. You can read it. Um, The second is the, that's supposed to be the sun, that big yellow circle. And it's supposed to symbolize that they do all their racing during the day. And I don't even know when the Tour de France happens, but apparently they race during the day. So next time you see it, you'll remember that. And the third one is harder to see, but imagine this, go, oh, oh, go back, go back for a second. the, the, the sun is the front tire of a bike rider. Do you see that? That dot above the above the wheel is his head. He's kind of leaned over, so you see. There's a bike rider in there as well, and so that's kind of fun. Next time you see that logo, if you ever do, you'll see. There's the bike rider right there. All right, <clears throat> let's see the next one. So FedEx, you see it all over the place. If you've never seen this before, maybe maybe you know this, but if not, I promise you. Next time you see their truck, you will remember this. So. Do you see between the E and the X in the negative space, meaning not the, yellow, not the orange part, is an arrow? Do you see that? you see the arrow? FedEx wants to give you this, this imagery that, you know, they, they take things somewhere. They're, they'll get there on time. Of course, I heard after first service that that doesn't happen anymore. But they, they want to get things going to the next place. All right, and the fourth one I wanna show you is a logo you probably will never run across, but I thought this was really cool. This is the London Symphony Orchestra. And so you can kinda see the L, the S, and the O there, right, you see that. But what you may not originally notice is that's also a conductor. So the L is one arm holding the, uh, what do you call that, a baton? I don't know. Um, And the, the O is the other arm. So they wanted to give this message of exactly what, you know, what they do. So when you see any of these, and FedEx for our context may be the best example because you'll see a FedEx truck here in the near future, is that once you see it, you can't unsee it. There are things in life that once you see them, you will never not be able to see them again. Well, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Cale Corright. We're so glad that you're here on this Sunday that we're going to call Blue Bucket Sunday. We do it a couple times every year, and it's the Sunday where we take up a special offering for our community service fund. Some of, those, some of that money will go to Crosspoint members. Some, um, a lot of it will go to people that are in our community that have a need. But you know, we set this date, I told you last week, we set this date uh, months ago, not knowing that that ice storm, snowstorm would come. And so we, there are needs in our community. So I believe that God set us on this path to do it this week in order so we could be a light in our community. And so, you know, some of that's going to go for people who need help with rent or paying bills. Sometimes people just need to fill up their tank full of gas so they can get to a job interview or, or to this place or that place. Um, but also we know that this this year we're going to give a bunch of money to Grand Prairie ISD because we want to make sure that the students in Grand Prairie that rely on schools for meals during spring break we want to make sure that they get a meal during spring break. And so we've already allotted some money for that. And so thank you for partnering with us today. On your way out this morning, you can, if you're here in person, there's a Blue Bucket um, all around. They're out in the commons by the doors. If you're online or if you give online, there's, there's on our app or our webpage, there's a drop down box and you can give to Blue Bucket that way also. Today's also an exciting day because our Celebrate Recovery is starting their men's and women's step studies, step studies here at 2 p.m. And so if you want to be involved in that, meet in a smaller group of people just to, to think about those things in your life that are holding you back from, from following God in the way he's called you to. So at 2 p.m. today, you can meet with them. They'll be in the, in the kids' wing here. up. At our Crosspoint building, and also I want to let you know that Celebrate Recovery is coming back in person. Their main session on Tuesday night, starting this Tuesday at six thirty p.m. So we invite you there. It's a time of worship uh, to share and hear testimonies, and again think about those things in our life that we can throw off so that way we can fully follow God. So we want to invite you to that as well. Tim already mentioned Colossians, but next week he's starting a new sermon series on the Book of Colossians, and so. Um, my challenge to you is to read that book this week. It's short. It's only four chapters, but I, but I don't want to mislead you. It is a rich book. Um, some of Paul's best writing um, is found in Colossians, and so read that this week so you um, kind of have that in your mind coming into next week, and this will be the series leading up to the Easter Sunday, and so we want you to be part of that. Um, one thing I always like to recommend is is if you sit down and read Colossians, and You know, and if it's difficult or it's challenging, go onto YouTube, go to the Bible Project, and they do a wonderful job of just helping make sense of what's happening from a uh, 35,000 foot view in Scripture. So go and check that out. Today, we're finishing up our series on 1 Peter called Stand Firm. And what Peter wants his readers to do is he wants them to stand firm in their faith that while society is changing, while they are changing in their society and society's changing around us as they're trying to, as they're becoming marginalized, uh, they're kind of being pushed to the side. He calls it, you stand firm in your faith. You don't change in your faith. Uh, I think sometimes we hear the the phrase, stand firm, and we think that that means that, you know, someone's done something to us, and so we need to kind of hit back. We need to stand firm. I'm just, I'm standing firm in my faith. And Peter does a wonderful job of explaining that that's not what we're supposed to be about as Christians. See, he balances this idea to stand firm in your faith with this also this idea that we're going to be doing good works, good deeds in our community, that people will see us, see our lives and how we treat them, and they will glorify God in the end because of how we treat them. And so the call for us is the same. Stand firm in your faith. Even when society changes around, you, and you do so with this loving attitude, this posture of love and giving towards everyone. And Peter's going to continue this in chapter two today. So if you have your Bible, turn over to 1 to Peter chapter two. Uh, if you're online or here, all the text will be on the screen as well. And this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture, so I'm excited to open this up with you this morning. Let's start reading in verse four. As you come to him, The living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who don't believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. So Peter, what he's doing here, he's doing a few things here. One of the things he's trying to do through this passage is he's trying to not only highlight who Jesus is, but also highlight who you are in Jesus. Jesus. And one of the the images that he invokes is this image of the temple. Now, the temple was the center of religious life for Jews. And you might could even say just the center of their life. Their their culture was much more religious than ours is. And the temple was at the center of that. And the temple was built with these huge stones. And in some places bigger than me, bigger than than multiple people together. And And in the corner, there would have been the cornerstone. This huge stone that everything is built on that supports the entire structure, the cornerstone. And what he's doing here is he's writing to a primarily Gentile audience, but what he wants to do is he wants to use the Jewish story, the same God that they that they follow was the God of the Old Testament. He wants to he wants to widen that story and he wants to include them in it. So he uses this he uses this temple language. And he calls Jesus the living stone. Now that's a paradox, because stones aren't living. But Jesus is this cornerstone. He's this living stone. And what Peter says is that you too are a living stone, because you are found in Christ Jesus. See, you have been made alive in Christ. But I love what he says there is, but you are now this priesthood. And so the priests were also at the center of Jewish life. That daily people would come to make sacrifices, of course annually, they would make their big once a year sacrifice, and the priests were at the center of that. They played a vital role, and he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are God's priest. And we might not use that language very often, so just for a second, I want to describe what a priest did. A a priest is essentially a mediator. A priest is one who stands between. When you can't make a sacrifice because you aren't holy, the priest is the one that stands there and sacrifices it on your behalf so that you are now made holy. And Peter says, using similar language that Paul will use, that you offer sacrifices and the sacrifice is yourself. You are God's priest to make a offering of a personal sacrifice for the benefit of somebody else. See, when he uses this this temple language, he's he's using communal language. This is plural. See, it's not so much that you are a temple and I am a temple, but it's that we are the temple of God. The church is the temple. See, we come into relationship with other people in Christ and we are the testimony to the world. And so this isn't, uh, as we talk about often, this isn't a solo sport. This isn't a solo endeavor. We're not called individually, but we're called collectively. This is who we are In Christ Jesus and I want to remind us that this is not a social organization but this is the temple of new believers transformed by God coming here to offer sacrifices for the sake of the world that's who we are church we are the transformed people of God brought here together to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice for the sake of the world so we don't exist for our own self Just like we talk about with Blue Buck, we talk about in lots of different ways, we don't exist for our own self. Sure, we want you to come in here, we want you to be changed, we don't expect you to stay the same, we're going to help you grow, we're going to help you in any way we can, but we don't exist for our own self. See, what Peter's saying is here is that you have come to know God, and now you're called to be the priesthood for other people. We don't exist for our own self. We come into this community together. This is a good and everlasting community. And that is good news specifically for Peter's first readers. See, they've lost their community. They followed God and they gave up a lot. We talk about what we give up here. But frankly, in our culture, in our society, we'd give up far less than they would have given up. They had this new, good, and everlasting community and we are also a part of. Church, that's who we are. This is a new body of Christ. This is the kingdom of God. This is who you are and what you are a part of. He also says those who trust will never be put to shame. And, and you might have never once felt shame for your faith in Christ, but they might have. See, they lived in what we call an, an honor-shame society. That the hierarchy was honor flowed up and shame flowed down. And it didn't matter when they became a Christian who they were before, but as soon as they adopted Christ, they, they moved backwards in that hierarchy. And it's the one thing that you didn't want in the first century is to experience shame. you were trying to honor others, honor your family, honor your community, honor the Jews, you would want to honor the tribe you are a part of. But here he says, You'll never experience shame if you're part of Christ. But they were experiencing shame. And it's one of the things that's difficult for us to to relate to. And the best way we can talk about it is any kind of suffering that we might have been a part of. And so when we suffer, when we experience hardship for our faith, what Peter reminds us is that now you're in line with Christ. Because Jesus Christ himself was rejected and suffered on our behalf. And as his followers... We're called to walk the same path. You know, we use the word discipleship a lot, and I think a better term for our day and age might be apprentice. We kind of understand what it means to be someone's apprentice. And when we're called to follow God, to follow Jesus, we're, we are his apprentice. We do what he did, which might include being rejected and suffering. And that can be difficult. But we follow Christ, come what may. No matter what the world throws at us, we follow Christ. I don't know if you remember the first time you experienced in-car navigation, that whether it was built into the car or you had a, one of those Garmins or if you waited until you had a, a smartphone with a Google Maps or something like that, but do you remember the first time that you could put the Atlas away or put the MapQuest print-offs away and just use the in-car navigation? I mean, it's like a whole new world, Right? I'm old enough to remember before we had those. I'm also old enough to to have been married before we had a Garmin or a smartphone with an app or anything like that. And so I'll never forget on Savannah and I's first anniversary, we were living in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the time and we were going to Tulsa to to eat at a couple places and to go a few places. And so what we did is we had to make a plan and we had to sit down and put in our address and we had to to put in the, the address of the first place we wanted to go and we had to print that out. And then we, we started it over, and we, the second place, we put that in to the third place we wanted to go, and so on and so forth. We had about like six different print-offs, right? And here's the problem, young people, when you used to do things like that. If you made one wrong turn, guess what? You're done, right? You're just, you're lost at that point. And I want to say that maybe we got lost, I don't know, obviously we found our way at some point, but... That's what the world used to be like. And, you know, you have to even go back a few generations. You have to go into the gas station or something and say, I need directions, right? And so somehow we made it. But, you know, Google Maps is one of those things that once you experience it, no one is, is offering to go without anymore. No one is saying, you know what, I'm, not, I'm just not going to use that. Because there are a few things in life that once you experience it, you can't go back. Once you experience it, your life has been forever changed. I love this section of Peter because what he's doing is he's using this Old Testament language to again open up the story of God for this new community. And and the first thing that he references is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah. And Isaiah is writing to a people that are going into exile. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, that came into Judah, they came into Israel, and they took captive God's people and took them thousands of miles away. This is a people that you want to talk about a hardship. You want to talk about losing hope. These people were losing hope. And Isaiah writes at a time, and what he says is, do not lose hope. You are God's chosen people. Don't forget that. God has not forgotten you. And later, Peter's going to use language from Exodus, and and it's a similar story that God's people are in bondage in Egypt, and they cry out to God, and God hears their cry, and God saves them. God rescues them, because they are God's chosen people. And one of the things that Peter wants to do is to remind you that's who you are. You are God's chosen people. You have a place with him. You are not forgotten by God, God remembers you and God hears you. And just like the nation of Israel, though, you have a purpose. You have a mission. See, church, this is all about our identity. Our identity has been changed because of the work of Christ Jesus. Who we are in God has been made new and made different because of Jesus Christ in your life. See, church, it's all about Jesus. Everything we do is about him. Jesus is the center of our life. Jesus is the cornerstone. He is what we build our life on. And just like we sing as children, wise people build their life on the rock. Wise men and women build their life on Christ Jesus. And the foolish what? Build their house on the sand. So that's what he writes here is that human builders saw the cornerstone. They saw Jesus and they rejected him. And likewise, they might reject you. But you who have been changed in Christ Jesus, you see him as the cornerstone. You see Jesus as the one to build our life on. See, Jesus as our cornerstone presents us as an opportunity for trust or rejection. The choice is, will you trust in Jesus or will you reject him? There are some times in life, whether in elementary school or in high school or maybe last week, that you learned a crazy fact that you just are not going to forget. It might have been decades ago that you learned something in school that you just never forget. Well, I wanted to come up with some today to give to you that maybe in 10 years from now you'll never forget this, right? That's, That's the hope. Maybe you'll forget by lunch. I don't know. But here are some crazy facts for you. Don't fact check me. I just Googled is all I did. Did you know that newborns, when they cry, they shed no tears? When newborns cry, they shed no tears. I've had three children. I did not know this. So maybe I didn't pay attention. Maybe it's wrong. Anyways, (laughs) newborns can't shed tears because their tear ducts haven't developed yet. They develop sometime um, in the first month up to three months of life after birth. And so if you have a newborn at home or if you're about to be a new grandparent and they cry and no tears come out, that's okay. That's how it's supposed to work. That's a fact. We'll see how many of us remember that. Here's the other thing that I looked up. I want you to sit and think about it for just a second. Let me say this correctly. I had to do this in first service too. Let me think about how I want to say this. What company produces the most tires? What company produces the most tires? I didn't say biggest or the largest I said the most tires. Well, believe it or not, but the company that produces the most tires in the world is the comp- is the Lego company. They might be really small. <laughs> but Lego produces the most company the most tires in the whole world. See, that's a fact that now maybe that you've heard it, maybe you'll remember it, I don't know. But there are some things in life that once you know it, you can't unknow it. Once you learn something, once you know something, you will just continue to know it. So Peter lines out here, he says, you know, Jesus is this living stone. He's a living stone that you can build your life on. But he also might be something that people reject. So for others, he's a stumbling block. But he's writing to the people of God and he said, for you, he is your cornerstone. And this is how Peter continues in verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I've been in full-time ministry about 10 years. And if there's one thing that I wish I could imprint on all Christ followers, it's this fact. I wish I I knew it in my heart in the way that, that I think Peter wants us to know it. If we can move this head knowledge, this of that God chooses us, that God loves, if we can move it down to our heart and out into our lives, it would change the world. Because what God wants to remind you over and over again is that you are his special possession. You are his royal priesthood, his chosen people. He loves you more than anything. And that fact will never change. He chose you when you were at your worst and he will never throw you to the side. And if you can live that out, if you can embody that fact, it will change your life. God chooses you over and over and over again. He chose you at your worst. But it continues. I love how Peter says this, But you are a chosen people, but you are a chosen people, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. See, this is who you are, church. You have been transformed. You have this new identity, but with it comes a task. With it comes a mission. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's this covenant language that he offers us. You are God's chosen people. You are his special possession. You are more important to God than anything that there was. But now you have a task. You're a priest. You have a job to do. You have a role to do. Your job is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, church, the world needs our testimony. It needs to know who we are and how we've been changed. This is who I am in Christ Jesus, and this is who you can be in Christ Jesus as well. There was a time that I didn't have mercy, but now I have been given mercy. Praise isn't just something that we do verbally, though that is important. We come in here weekly to to declare praises, but we also live it out in our life. The way that we live matters, and we live in such a way that we declare praise to him. We are his priesthood. We are called to live in such a way that we live for the sake of the world. That we declare praises with our life, so that others may know. See, we're called to point to Jesus. We're called to keep Him at the center. And often, we become a distraction. Often, we can let our habits or how we've been trans- or how we've been formed by society get in the way. And what Peter reminds us is that we are called to point to Jesus. That we are His priesthood. We offer our bodies as a sacrifice for the sake of others. We have this mission, that God will use you for other people. So we praise him with our life. So he uses this imagery of the cornerstone, and I love this quote. Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future, and one cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass him by. Christ is laid on the path of humanity as we go forward in the future. You cannot simply step over him and continue going by. See, when you come in contact with Jesus, you have a choice to make. Do you view him as the cornerstone and build your life on him? Or do you stumble and do you fall? See, church, you have seen, and you can't unsee. You have experienced Jesus' And life is never the same because that. You know him and you can't unknow that fact. And so you have a choice to make. Will you build your life on Jesus or will you stumble over him? There are are most of you in here today have accepted Jesus Christ but for those of you who haven't be one of those that Peter says you have received mercy. See he has a free gift to you today that This is a gift that you could never earn, but that will change your life. It won't be easy. There will be suffering, but it'll be the best thing that you've ever done. Accept Jesus as the cornerstone of your life. Build your life on him, knowing full well that you have been changed. You are his chosen people. You are his royal priesthood. You are his special possession. And so the call this morning is to live our lives as a declaration of praise, that we have been called out of darkness into his wonderful light. And the world needs to know that. So if we can help you accept that gift from Jesus today, if we can pray over you in your walk with Christ, won't you come now while we stand and sing?